Hey everybody, this is Anthony Gomes. You're tuned in to the Hook Rocks with Chase Scott. Crank it up. happening i'm jay scott this is the hook rocks the ultimate rock community podcast thanks for tuning in once again i always appreciate when you stop by we are part of the pantheon podcast network a great network of music related podcasts i always mention my friends before we start every show like tom and zeus on the number one rated kiss podcast shout out loudcast mac on the ugly american werewolf in london podcast Vinny apice and carmen apiece on hanging and banging the great uh, Mistress Carrie, the legendary DJ out in Boston, has her own show. So check that out, as well as Martin Popoff with uh, The Rock Historian and Chris and Aaron on Decibel Geek. So check out all those and more on PantheonPodcast.com. You can also follow them on all the social media platforms at Pantheon Pods, as well as you can follow The Hook Rocks on all social media platforms. Just search up The Hook Rocks on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and give us a follow and uh, enjoy the content that we produce for you and don't forget you can find us on all streaming platforms all podcast platforms whether it's amazon apple spotify you name it we're on it and set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episode and you can enjoy the previous 400 plus episodes that we've had we just celebrated our three-year anniversary with Stephen piercy from rap we celebrated our 400th episode with members of the groove council we've had some great episodes over the last month or two with tuck smith who's got an album coming out in november and a new single dropping this friday tyler bryant who just released a new album shake the roots he was on a couple weeks ago as well as the band bourbon house great new rock band from wisconsin and also chicago area based heavy metal band ignescent we also did a live album review of UFO Strangers in the Night, a White Snake Legacy Show, and we just discussed home recording studios with Professor Skylabs, our resident audio expert, breaks down where you should start, where you should begin when you're thinking about putting together a home recording studio. It's probably the most economical way for a young artist uh, and band to kind of record music. They don't got to pay for studio time, and you can kind of fidget around and do what you need to do before you're ready to go into a major studio, or you can record the whole thing there and, and uh, get it out to the people and, uh, and start building your audience. So check that out. Our next guest is from a band that was recommended to me by one of the guests I just mentioned, Tuck Smith. As we were talking, I don't know if it was during the interview or offline, he was like, you should have the, the Ravagers on. They're a great band. He's like, Matt from the Biters is now in that band. And of course my ears perked up because I'm a huge Biters fan and was a huge Biters fan, but you can still be a fan of the band that uh, is no longer in existence. And I was like, I got to check this out. So checked out the album on, uh, on one of the streaming services and uh, totally dug it. It's totally awesome. And 
we're happy to introduce Matt Gabs from the Ravagers, formerly of the Biters. What's happening, man? How you doing? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Like I just said, man, I've been listening to this album for like the last three, four weeks. And uh, it's it's simple. It's rock and roll. It's got some punk in it. And it sounds really good. Yeah, man. Thank you. We always start the same way every time we have a first time guest on the episode. And it's really what the podcast is all about. Just like a great rock song has a hook that pulls you in, everybody or everyone that's a rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, um, probably in elementary school. Um, my mom, for whatever reason, gave me every cassette from Guns N' Roses. I don't know why I never talked about them or I don't think I even know who they knew who they were at that point, but she just thought I would like it. And appetite for destruction just rocked my fucking world, man. Um, it just was terrifying and awesome. And it was just a lot of things all at once for, for a kid that age and the artwork and everything. It was like the OG artwork, you know? Yeah. <laughs> was, yeah the one that's banned. Fucked me up, man. I was like, what am I looking at? What am I listening to? I want to know more about this. That's fantastic. It reminds me of when my son, he's 17 now. He got in the car. I picked him up at his mom's. He was five at the time, four or five. And I'm driving and he's listening to, or he's singing. Poker Face by Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm like, I'm like, what are you, what are you singing? He's like, Lady Gaga, you know, I think he said like Pucker Face or something like that. Yeah. And I turned, you know, turn around and I'm like, all right, I need to start working on this because <laughs> he's going down a path he shouldn't be going down. And uh lo and behold, like six months later, I'm taking him to his first concert, which was a Butch Walker show. Oh, nice. And, uh taking him to so many shows. Now he's playing guitar and he's uh, you know, listen to the rock t-shirt to school every day. So oh, cool. uh how my old legacy, is my legacy uh is still intact <laughs> as that moment. But it's kind of similar to your mom. You may have done something that like I better put him on the path to rock and roll. Something I, she saw in me as a little kid made her do that, I guess. Um I never got to ask her why she she just like right up to the spaghetti incident, just here you go. And uh, I don't know why I started on Appetite, probably because it had the coolest artwork. And uh, yeah, I mean, maybe it was she used to watch MTV a lot and uh, she probably saw me react when when their music videos came on, because I remember like the Paradise City music video. Um, Yeah, just like three inches from the TV, just studying it like (laughs) just fucking wanted to know everything about that world. Well, Appetite, you know, is regarded as one of the best debut albums of all time. You know, I mean, it's either someone's number one or it's always in the top five for people. And what's great about that album is obviously the music, but the element of danger and the edginess to it that really was kind of lost up until that point. You know, you can talk about the early 80s of hard rock and heavy metal and it definitely had an edge and it had that danger element to it. But then it kind of became very vanilla. It became very cookie cutter. And all of a sudden there's this band that comes out 
that, you know, looks like they live in a back alley and they look dangerous. They look like, you know, if you brought them home and your mom met them, she'd tell you to stop hanging out with that kid. And that was such the attraction for Guns N' Roses because it was like these guys look like they're into something they shouldn't be in. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah. I mean, even at a young age, like my bullshit meter worked really well. And uh, I could just tell, like, this is real. These guys aren't fucking around. I don't know what this is yet, but this is the realest form of it. (laughs) Yeah, because it was like a different world, right? I mean, you saw that first video for Welcome to the Jungle, where he's getting off the bus. and there's like this element of sleaze and element of danger. And there's this band that's just kicking ass and you got slash. We can't even see his eyes. And it was so different in the polar opposite to what rock had become since the early days of the eighties, you know, where the hair was teased up and let's not forget guns and roses did have their hair teased at one part or one early stages of the band, but the music was so authentic and so real. And as you learn more about the band and you hear people talk about the early days of Guns N' Roses, like you said, it was real. Like it was like they're the real deal. Yeah. There's no fake. And the songs were there. complex, you know, they weren't yeah. just like these easily digestible little like, you know, 80s hair metal tunes. They they were real songs. Um yeah, where did, go, I mean, where, did, where did it go from there for you? Like, what was next? I mean, obviously, there's this introduction with Guns N' Roses. When did so, it become like you wanted to pursue pursue music? Well, I mean that that instantly made me want to pick up an instrument. Um, I used to take like a a meter stick and uh, like a shoelace, and you know, like play make an air guitar uh, that I would play in front of the mirror trying to mimic like what they did in the music video and like i just i wanted to be in guns and roses <laughs> i just thought that was the baddest shit ever um and then you know my o- older siblings started noticing you know that i always had my headphones on playing that and uh they, they started you know around christmas time here's a metallica black album you might like that here's uh nirvana never mind here's you know list goes on like from that era just loaded me up showed me the way (laughs) yeah i mean those are i mean when you think of that period of music with the black album and never mind i mean that's early 90s you know coming out of that too you had use your illusion one and two it was it was a kind of like the transition from that 80s glam rock into kind of more of a more music with substance or more kind of authenticity with what had, what had it became or what, what became of that music. Yeah. Uh, And you think of stuff like Soundgarden coming out and, you know, even the first Pearl Jam. I I had the Soundgarden uh, cassette. Uh, My sister got me that. She said, you'll probably like this too. Such a great time for music. And, And I know, you know, the, the loyalty for a lot of fans with 80s rock, for forbade them from or forbid them from listening to that stuff or have any connection with that stuff and admittedly when i was growing up the bands that i resonated with or connected with um or resonated with me was alice in chains and soundgarden because there was a little bit more edge 
to like a Nirvana and a Pearl Jam. So mm-hmm. I connected with them pretty easily, but it was a difficult time getting over that transition. But it was it was cool because it was different. Because as I said earlier, it became very cookie cutter. It became it, there, there was really no authenticity, and bands started to get signed not because how they played, but because how they looked. Right. So when you think of your journey into rock and the music that you began collecting, was there a show? Was there was there a moment that wanted you you know to pick up guitar or led you to pick up guitar? Um. It wasn't a show or anything. Um, I mean, unless you count, like, my older cousin had, like, VHS collection of, like, you know, live Guns N' Roses and stuff like that, too. Um, I I wore those out. Um, I think um, what made me want to actually get into it was when it actually became accessible. I I was snooping around my grandmother's, um, one of the, the rooms she had that was my uncle's at one point. And he had an old Tiesco tulip guitar in there with a Fender Vibrochamp amp. And I would, because I didn't want to get in trouble, I would like pull it out, like, you know, quietly and like just hold it in the mirror and just try to like make sounds on it and stuff. And then I put it away before I got caught. And uh, I just got so sick of sneaking around. I eventually came clean. I was like, hey, I went snooping around. I know I wasn't supposed to, but I found a guitar. And I fucking have to learn how to play it. Please, can I take lessons? Like, it's driving me crazy. Like, I never, you know, I didn't know how easy it would be until I found one in my own house. I was like, holy shit, here we go. And uh, yeah, it just took off from there. You couldn't couldn't get out of my hands. Was the intention to always be in a band or was there just to learn the instrument? Um, No, I wanted to be in a band, like badly. Um, I was playing in bands in middle school with my friends, we would just do covers. We'd play our like birthday parties. Um, we'd just play the same six songs over and over again, like Nirvana covers, Operation Ivy, Rancid, Green Day. Um, what else? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Was there, was there a show or performance you saw too that like showed you what, you had to be in order to be like up on a stage like that or kind of led you to, you know, show you all the work that had to go into, you know, getting up there and really being a, a, you know, musician that people wanted to play with or people that you know, wanted to see. So I actually never got to go to a show until um, like the last year of high school. I went to like big concerts with like, you know, my older cousin, like she took me to see like Skinner and like, like big, like arena stuff. But, um, I never like got to go to an actual club show until like my last year of high school, uh, or maybe, um, sophomore year. I don't know. Um, I, every weekend I would just find my way to the city and just go to the auto bar in Baltimore and just watch whatever band was playing and just study, like, just take it all in. Uh, eventually that turned into like, trying to network, like working up the nuts to like talk to them because they would have to walk through the crowd to go to the bar. And I'm like, oh my God, that's the guy from the band that just played holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Um, yeah, it just, the, the more time I spent around it, the more um, more it felt like, yeah, I could, I could do this. I just need to, I need to do it. I need to start doing it. I don't know how. Uh, and then eventually I ended up, 
through skateboarding, uh, riding on the same team as my friend Eric Faber, who was a drummer, and he turned me on to a lot of really cool punk and other bands and told me that his band was looking for a guitarist and that he knew I played guitar. Like, you should try out because we just liked hanging out with each other. There was a big age difference, but he was like, you should, you know, you should try out, man. Like, it would be awesome. And um, I think they just thought it was so funny to have a kid in high school in their band. They were all like in their, you know, 20s, like mid 20s and stuff. Um, So I started touring with that band in high school and uh, I had to get my grandmother to like write a letter to uh, to excuse me for two weeks from school so I could go on tour to play to like, you know. 10 people each night <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. But I loved it. It was fucking that's, amazing. That's incredible, man. That's awesome. Was there a, a guitar player that you consider you know, your biggest influence? Mm, I mean, it's always changing. Um, I, I think the first Dead Boys album really, really rocks my world. And I wanted to play like exactly like Cheetah Chrome. I thought that, oh, and Johnny Thunder is the, first New York Dolls album was just also floored me. And I, I copied every lick he played on that album and tried to use it in, in the songs that I ended up writing with a band eventually. And yeah, those guys got me started, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's always changing, you know, one, one year it's Rick Nielsen and, you know, the next year it's like, I'm James Williamson. <laughs> yeah. As, as you continue down this path, and was there a moment where, you know, you're living in Baltimore? Did you ever, did you want to move out to LA? Did you want to move closer to where people are playing music? Was there, was there that moment for you? Um, I, I, I kind of instantly fell into it in Baltimore. Um, at a level that I was pretty content that I, you know, didn't expect to get to until like many years later, you know, like still in high school. And I'm like playing these like, you know, proper club shows, like, you know, opening up for touring bands and stuff, but I, I, it it was enough for me. So I was content. I was like, this is great. And, you know, we were still touring and stuff. So um, I always just looked at Baltimore as like a, a good place to, you know, store my shit while I'm traveling it was affordable. I'm from there, you know, so that makes things easier. I I never really even thought about moving. Um, it just felt, it it almost felt easier to do out of Baltimore. I just wanted to travel. I didn't want to stay in one place. I really wanted to tour. I'm sorry. What was that? I really just wanted to tour the tour life. That first taste when I was in high school, I was like, this is amazing. This is like, total anarchy like you know for a high school kid when i don't i don't have to book anything i don't have to drive you know i'm not expected to do shit but show up and play i was like this is amazing i can get used to this for sure man it's better than english and u.s history right yeah i also knew i wasn't going to college so i was like you know i'll 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 learn a little bit and I'll, i'll graduate like i want my ged because i i need something i'm not gonna further my education i'll at least i'll at least graduate but yeah this is what i want to do and there's no like rock and roll, you know, college. So what was next? I mean, how do you, well, I guess, I guess the best question to ask is how did you find yourself in the Ravagers? Um, so 
I knew Alex, the singer from my old band, Fishnet Stalkers, which is a punk band from Baltimore. And he was always out at, at our shows. And eventually he was in a band that would play with us. And of everyone in his band, he was, he was just the coolest. And I, I remember telling him when he was still in art school, like I was like, one day I get the feeling you and I are going to play music together. Like you just, there's something like you got something that I vibe with. I don't, I don't know what it is yet. And I mean, 10 years later we, that eventually happened, but um, yeah, he, he was uh, living with me at the time when he started Ravagers and he had a solid drummer and bass situation, but he was going through like guitarists all the time. And so he would come in my room with a, an idea and be like, Hey, what do you think of this? And I'd grab a guitar and be like, that's awesome. What if we did this? And we would end up like writing like one of his songs together, or I, I would help, you know, um, he, you know, he wrote those songs, but um, I, I ended up getting like feeling attached to some of the songs and the band. And, you know, I would fill in when like they had a show booked, but one of their guitarists just couldn't do it or like quit or something. And I was like, well, I'll do it. You know, I'm free that weekend. And um, I never like wanted to join because I, I was doing biters. So full time, I didn't want to hold him back because that was priority over everything. So, you know, and we were very busy. So I was like, I'm not the right guy. I'm just going to fuck you up. You should find someone permanent. But in the meantime, like count me in for like shows if I'm in town. And then when biters ended, I was already like helping out and I was like, Oh, perfect. Just sign me up full time, man. Like I got all the time in the world now. Let's go. That transition from biters into the ravagers biters really had a lot going on in terms of just the music in terms of what you guys were about back then. And it seemed to like be gone before it really, before it really saw it through, right. Before it really became what a lot of people thought it was going to become. Was there, was there any hesitation to continue on with like another band? Was, was, was that moment where when biters kind of fell apart that you needed some time to kind of like, man, this was really going, this was something that we really thought it was going to be. Um, well, you know, I was already kind of like part-time guitar, um, sit in with ravagers. So, Really, like when when it stopped, I was just like grateful that I still had something because, you know, it was, it was important to me to have some kind of outlet to like play music and, you know, an excuse to travel. Like I, I can't really afford to travel the way a, a band lets me travel. So, I, you know, I was going to miss that sooner or later. So, um, no, I was okay. I just, you know, jumped into Ravagers full time. Just it was kind of like a smooth transition. Um, I don't know if Ravagers wasn't a thing. If I would jump right into a band, I probably would have at least taken like a full year off just to recollect myself um, after everything that Biters had did and like what we went through and all the hard work that we put into getting it to where it was before it ended. Um, really just kind of took it out of us. So I, I, yeah, I, I wasn't going to be in a big rush to, uh, you know, find band members, come up with a name, come up with an idea. You know, it's just a lot. I would have probably taken at least a year off to just, I don't know, save money, figure out what my next move's going to be. You're doing this 
podcast, you know, has allowed me to hear a lot of stories about the business side of music and the heartache, the heartbreak, the disappointment. You know, I just had, you know, Tuck on and, you know, he, we know the story of his album getting shelved and having to do this new record that, uh, that he's going to be putting out. And there's a lot of stories like that, that go on. You see a lot of these young bands rise up and then you don't hear from them anymore because they're held up in litigation or their record company is screwing with them or management companies screwing with them, you, you know, and, and as before we get into talk about the ravagers, when you think about an experience with fighters and every situation is somewhat different, but there's a lot of commonalities with things. When you, have that kind of fall apart you know there is a little bit of a healing mentally that you got to go through because like you said you put a lot of hard work in it you put you put a lot of time in it and there's that part there's that time when you see that nothing can stop you you're on your way you're you're doing everything you need to do and then all of a sudden boom it's like gone before you like you you, you turn around i mean that's kind of what that's kind of what it was and why we decided we decided to end it before it became like, I mean, cause we had all this momentum and then things started going South with the band and the label and they started doing things to kind of sabotage everything we worked so hard for. And it was clear that that was about to happen to us. Like we were about to, be one of those what happened to biters they haven't been touring in a while they haven't put out shit and this you know yada 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 um so we were like let's just pull the plug on it before it becomes that because i don't think we're gonna win this situation we got ourselves in with the label um it is what it is um you know we signed a bad deal um so better to you know burn out than fade away right right yeah why do I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody can ever answer this because I don't know if there is a right answer, but I don't understand how a record label signs a band because they see, see, see something in them that they believe in only to screw them over. I don't get that. You know, I don't oh, it blows understand our mind. It. I mean, everything we did up until them, like, you know, pursuing us was on our own. It was completely DIY. Like all the early releases, like we pretty much released that on our own through like a label that like our manager just made up for the sake of like having, having it look more like legit, but it was, we were basically, it was all us. And so everything from the music videos to the songs, the tours, you know, we did all that and they loved every bit of it. And then when we signed with them, they wanted to change so much that that made us who we were. And that's where we kind of had the falling out. We're like, that's but, you know, the whatever you fell in love with, that's, you know, that's not this. Like, why do you want us to do this? That's not what you signed. Like, there's a thousand bands doing that right now. We're not trying to do that. We're not trying to be like the next Motley Crue type. You know, they saw a couple music videos with like you know, party scenes and like, they thought we were like some sex, drugs and rock and roll band. I mean, you know, maybe at times, but that's not really the image we were trying to portray. And they really, really had the wrong idea, I guess, when they signed us. Yeah. I, I will never figure that stuff out. You know, 
if you believe in something because you like what you hear, why mess with it? You know, like just. I, yeah, I was like, just keep, let us keep doing our thing and everything will be fine. Right. Like we got this far. And you sign off on it all like we did that. Let us just keep doing us. Now to the Ravagers. The new album is Badlands uh, yeah. earlier this year. And, you know, to me, it's got all those elements. I, I kind of look at it as like a very punkish rock and roll album. You know, it's got that edge. It's got that sense of danger. That's really missing with a lot of rock and roll acts these days. And that's really where I started my appreciation for it. When I first listened to it, as this album, you know, was released and now, you know, you're looking back on it. You've had a few months to reflect what your, is this, well, maybe the question is, is this album, you know, what you intended it to be when you were creating, when you started creating it, or did it just kind of happen to be, or develop into something organically like it is now, you know, with the music. Yeah, no, it all kind of happened organically. And then also asking Tuck to produce was like a given, like, you know, we have such a background. Alex too. I mean, Alex has been like friend of the biters since day one. He did all the artwork and he would travel with us and stuff. So yeah, we, we kind of knew, like, I didn't know how it was going to come out. I just knew if we went down to Atlanta with Dan Dixon and Tuck, doing the the uh record it was going to be something we were all very proud of and uh yeah i mean it exceeded my expectations for sure i'm i'm i love that album yeah no it's it's definitely it's fantastic record and you know you do have super proud it's like it really did um come out way better than i thought it would leading up to this album obviously you know we went through couple of years of dealing with the pandemic and you know which hindered a lot of creation and, and the creative process maybe not creating upon yourself but just creating and collaborating with others there's obviously zoom there's ways to communicate there's ways to make music but coming out of the pandemic and into this record you know was there a sense of like a rebirth for you as a musician as you know for the band in the direction that you guys wanted to go um, man, we, the pandemic kind of slowed us down that most of those songs we've been playing live for years and just waiting to record them. And, uh, so many setbacks, um, I, it was just long overdue. I, I just, it, it feels, it feels old. I mean, even when it came out, it almost felt like, all right, we got to start writing for the next one. Um, I don't know. It just felt nice to finally get it out. But yeah, we had been sitting with that for quite some time, like um, except for like maybe like one or two that were kind of, kind of came together uh, last minute. But the majority of that album, like we had performed live, we had sat with for years. We were just waiting to get in the studio and, and then of course waiting to get the physical records from the pressing plant, which was because of COVID way backed up we waited like almost two years like it was done and we had to wait like i think almost two years before we had like physical records so that we could you know tour because we weren't going to go on tour without the record like, like that's just, just not wise um so yeah it was just like finally how do you stay connected with that music when you recorded it two years ago um you know i i I try not to really uh, think about it. And, and then when it's time to do music, you know, like when I'm in Baltimore with the guys, 
it's like a nice refreshing like oh yeah this tune nice yeah this will be fun and we're just you know in the space like i don't really dwell on it too much i don't like to i don't want to overthink them um i'll start fucking with them i'll start rewriting parts that are fine and then you'll just end up with this mess of uh you know what used to be a, a nice simple song because <laughs> that's that's a unique experience and unfortunately because of the pandemic it, it is pretty common at least during this time frame of what's been going on but you know you you record music that you've been playing for a long time and now you got to sit on an album for a long time and you're still creating right because you're you're a musician and you're 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 naturally going to create music you're naturally going to try writing a riff so for two years you're waiting on this album it finally arrives from the press plant now you got to go play these songs live, but you've got some other stuff that you've been working on. How do you like navigate through that where you now this album, you got to go back to these songs that you had two years ago, even though you may have ideas or demos of, of new stuff that you're excited about. Right. I'm kind of a fan of recording any idea that I think is worthwhile and um, forgetting about it, moving on, trusting that it's saved. And when it's time, I revisit it. And sometimes I remember it very well because, you know, it was catchy. And sometimes it's like I've never heard it before and probably in a bad way. <laughs> like, oh, if I can't even remember this riff, then it's probably not <laughs> any good. Let's let's just scrap that. But, yeah, I don't know. I just um, I, I was fine. Just I, I kind of uh, compartmentalized the two. And, and, and honestly, there were so many last minute changes with the pre-production leading up to the album. And then when we were actually in the studio that, and, and then our budget doesn't really let us just sit there and like relish in it. We have to move, 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 move. So I don't remember a lot of the last minute stuff we did. So when I heard the record, I had to re I had to learn a lot of those songs so I can play them live. They're new versions. You know what I mean? Like the little changes and stuff that I forgot. Cause we, already moved on to like another song so yeah i just i was all you know new record brain that was it i wasn't really thinking about i mean we hadn't even toured for it yet i was like you know we have plenty of time they're saved on your phone you know you, you don't need to stress about that when it's time you can go through and pull out anything that's good and get with alex and see if it's worthy of a song or whatever but yeah no, i just like was full on badlands What's it like touring after a pandemic? I mean, you've had this big gap in people playing live, and now you have everyone out there touring. Everyone is is uh, itching to get out there if they haven't already, and there's so many shows coming through. It's it's a saturated market. It really is. And, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I didn't like it too much, man. I kind of got used to a, a different way of living over that pandemic, man. <laughs> Two years of just sitting at home doing whatever I wanted was pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> I didn't realize um, how burnt out I was from, you know, all the, all the biters touring until like, um, until I wasn't allowed to do it for two years. And I was, I was okay. I was like, I, I'm okay. I could go a little longer. I wasn't like, um, some people were losing their minds. Like I got to play a show. I'm going crazy. But I felt like we went so hard that it was, I, I was kind of enjoying the break. You know, I was still playing guitar and stuff, but I was like, this is nice, man. I'm just home. Me and my wife just hanging out. Like, I get to see her all the time. This is cool. Um, and then when we got back out in the road, I, I had a lot of rust to dust off. Um, 
yeah, I forgot about all the, the long driving and the loading and the, the very little sleep. And I was like, man, I miss, I miss home. <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that. Cause I, I went down to Nashville uh, Memorial day weekend. And that was the first time I did a road trip from Chicago since before the pandemic. Right. You know, and did I'm you driving, used to love road trips before I used to love them. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm driving down and I'm 47 now. Right. I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not doing this again. I, I am flying next time. I'm like seven, yeah. eight hours. This is bullshit. You know, dude, I was such a road dog lifer until that fucking pandemic. And then I was like, man, this is kind of nice, huh? <laughs> just, Hell yeah. just doing my own thing. I fucking loved it. Um, but no, it's cool, man. I mean, I, it can't be like that forever. This is, this is what I do. Um, it's it's nice to to get that that first one out of the way. We did a um, first tour back since the pandemic. We did a month uh, full U.S. and uh, yeah, no warm up or anything. Just went right into it and uh, shit, man. <laughs> it's like God damn, here we go. It didn't really uh, hit me until like we got like real out west, and I was like, man, we still have to make our way back. We're not even halfway through this thing. Shit, and the shows were great, man. Like everyone got along. It was cool. Um, I just miss my little creature comforts and my bed and I got too used to that. It, that was the longest amount of time I'd ever spent at home since, um, high school. I was always on the road or just doing something, I, I, you know, being forced to stay in that long. I never thought I would have adjusted so quickly, but I was like, I'm okay. Yeah, I, I can do this. This isn't so bad. What was it the like ramping up? You know, what, what was it? Well, what was it like ramping up? Like, all right. Now I know I'm going on tour. I mean, you, you're talking about the tour and you're like, oh, my God, we're not even halfway through this. But I mean, was there was there an anxiety like, oh, my God, I'm, I haven't done this in two years. Like you said, you had to knock a lot of rust off. It wasn't like do. an ex- anxiety as far as like being on stage. Like, um, I, I'll be honest, man, the, the first show back, it didn't it just kind of felt like business as usual. It, it all just kind of I, I did enough of it, I guess it, it, it wasn't. Um, I knew exactly what to do. Just did it. It was pretty fun. Um, but uh, yeah, man, you know, like I'm, I, I was two years older and, uh, you know, certain certain muscles haven't been worked out like that in a while. My stamina, um, just those things that you, you have when you never stop and then you, you, it goes away when you take a two year break. And it was educational. I was like, oh, man. Okay. Uh, hopefully, hopefully after this week, I'll get back into the swing of things. But yeah, I shouldn't be this winded. I shouldn't be this. Like, <laughs> I don't know. That's, you know. that's an interesting way to look at it because that's. I think that's a forgotten element of what you do, what others do in music, right? I mean, because you you do get into a cycle, right? Yeah. Right. Album tour. Right. Album tour. You know, there's mm-hmm. little breaks here and there. But you become a creature of habit. You know what to expect. That's taken away for a long period of time. And then you have something that you recorded prior to it. And you're like, oh, yeah, we made this record. Now I got to relearn some parts. And, oh, yeah, we're going on tour again. So it's like a restart. But you are you have a different outlook on things now. You got a different perspective. And you're two years older. So I don't know if that's really appreciated by a lot of 
by a lot of people, even musicians themselves, about that stagnation that you had to deal with for two years. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're right back to doing it. That's that's crazy. And, and the thing for me is that um, I was one of the fortunate ones that I didn't have anything to cancel. We didn't have any shows lined up or anything. We were about to focus on the record, you know, leading like before the pandemic, like it was like, okay, full length and then tour the world. And then the pandemic came we're like, Oh, okay. Well, we'll just wait for, we'll ride this out. However long this is going to be. Um, I didn't have a tour to cancel. I didn't have, you know what I mean? Um, so I was fortunate in that. And I don't even know what point I'm trying to make, but uh, it was real easy to just get lost over those two years. And I just took my mind off. I just took a vacation. I was like, all right, well, the whole world's in the same boat. So I don't feel bad. I don't, there's no FOMO. I'm not missing shit. Everyone's doing this. I got into uh Luther. I was like, you know, I use my unemployment money to build a little workshop and I just, you know, I got tunnel vision for, for guitar building and, and, uh, yeah, I had to relearn like all those songs. I mean, I'd like dump my brain. I was like, I just want to learn how to build guitars. <laughs> I'm not playing rock and roll right now. I'm sure I can relearn it when it's time. I don't care about it right now, though. That's great. No, I, I, um, yeah, it, 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 I don't know if we're going to really realize the change or the impact of those two years till probably like a decade from now. Like when we yeah. look back of what we became each as individuals. And how we interact with each other now. I mean, there's, there's the obvious things, right? But then there's things that, you know, you don't really realize what's happened because of COVID or why things are like this now because of COVID and how they became the norm. Uh, sadly, but in some ways a positive. And, uh, you know, I was just talking to a band, the band Bourbon House, who I just had on the new music spotlight about how all the clubs that they used to know a lot of them are gone now. A lot of them don't yeah. exist. That's right. Over over that uh, over that time, a lot of um, so much change. Uh, connections, contacts that I had uh, from you know previously, um, most of those weren't, weren't a thing anymore. <laughs> you know, like it really kind of felt like starting over. It was a little overwhelming. Uh, that's why it was so easy to check out. I was like, ah, this is a lot, man. I fucking i don't know i gotta i got enough of it out of my system i'll be good for a little while i don't you know this is just this feels like almost starting over i mean for a lot of people it was shit tuck man um he had that beautiful tour and you know the album and everything and then the timing for him wasn't so fortunate and uh that i because i listened to his episode you know uh the one that you just did with him and you know him talking about it it's fucking terrible man yeah, a lot of people that had it that way. Not everyone. I mean, I, there, there's some people I know that feel the same way I did. I'm like, oh, it was great. <laughs> I really liked it. <laughs> well, I was um, talking with with Richie Katzen as well, and and I was because he wasn't he didn't do much during the pandemic, and yeah. he loved it. He's like, it gave me a chance to kind of recharge and kind of just relax, and you know, yeah. you know, kind of get away from it and then come back with a different perspective. And for him, it was beneficial. Like you, it was beneficial for some that just live off creating, you know, there was, there was, well, you guys all live off creating, but there, you know, some that are, are really in with it tight. That's That was a tough thing for, for a lot of people. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, it's funny well, as you know, we 
a lot of us think like, man, um, if I could just get a break, if I could just have a couple months of no work and no obligations so I could focus on this or fix this or that, man, that would be so great. Right. And uh, we all had that. And uh, the majority of the people I know, including myself, didn't do any of the shit they thought they would do if they were given, you know, two years to figure it out. I didn't write you know, my, my solo record, or I didn't, you know, learn how to be a better guitarist or anything. Like I thought I was, I'm just going to play guitar like eight hours a day. Like I'm a a kid again. I didn't do any. (laughs) What was it like for you working with Tuck? Um, In the studio with Ravagers? Yeah. Uh, Business as usual, man. Um, It was great. I, you know, knew exactly what to expect and, we just worked. We did some great things. It was cool. It was nice to be uh, down in Atlanta again uh, for the first time since since Fighters. When you look at this record, Badlands, compared to what you previously released, you, do you feel like there's an evolution of the band? Do you feel like it's you know what you guys have right now with the Ravagers is what it's going to be, and it's just the sound that you guys have and develop? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, before Badlands. I mean, there's a couple singles that we released where I was like in the studio playing and and writing with them. But um, before all that, like the first two EPs, like that was mostly Alex and um, I was in the studio with them, but they had a different guitarist and, and he played all the parts. Even if it was something like I wrote, he played it and um, it just had a different touch and a different feel. And then with Badlands, me being like, knowing that this is my band now like you know this isn't a side project this isn't me like helping my buddy out like you're in this band make it yours you know and like really get the most out of it um it it has way more of um like you said like the rock and roll meets punk kind of thing like because i i can't help but force my shit in there um you know i'm a i was a punk rock kid too but um being such a like a guitar nerd that i am it's more fun for me to do a certain thing with the music than just kind of like power chord through and like a couple chuck berry solos which we do plenty of too but like yeah it's just you know part of the fun for me is like satisfying riffs and um you know just sneak my little turbo negro helicopters kiss shit in there as <laughs> much as play with before Alex is like, all right, dude, that's too much. <laughs> Dial it back. Is there another run for you guys on this album, or is the focus going to be on something new? We uh, yeah, we got um a West Coast thing that um we'll be announcing dates uh next week, I think, and some small little like weekenders coming up. Um, I think we're going to try to do Europe next year with it. And then I think we'll be done. I think then it'll be studio time. Um, I already started kind of playing around with some, some new ideas. I'm going to see Alex tomorrow and, uh, hopefully we can spend some time with some guitars and garage band and, and start laying down some, some ideas for the next record the way music is evolving in, in terms of the business side, in terms of how music is released, how it's absorbed now, you know, is always the goal for you guys to release a full length album? Is there an EP idea or is it single to single now? Are you guys like concerned EP. with what's happening? 
I, I like releasing um, like a couple EPs a year because it's easier to get in the studio for like two to four songs and then release it, do a little touring for it. You can do that like three times a year and look like you're really, really busy. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good look. And I think it boosts the band up a little bit to have like these releases and then the promo that goes behind it and stuff. Um, it takes significantly longer to write a full length, at least one that you feel good about, and then record that and tour for that. Um, unfortunately, I think that's where we're at. I think we did enough EPs over the years. Now we have our first full length out. I think the next step will be a follow up full length a lot of people who knows i don't know i mean i'm i'm one fourth and we're pretty uh for the most part we we kind of vote on things so maybe that's not what we do but that's that's my probably my vote full length well it's also kind of the reason why people release music the way it is now whether it's single to single or eps multiple times a year is because of the tour demands right it used to be you know, you do a tour, you write a full length album, then you get out there. Those days are gone. And like you said, you know, looking like you're busy and looking like you're putting out music continually allows you to keep touring, allows you to stay on the road. And let's face it, that's where the money is these days. And, yeah. and it's more press, you know, like, right? you stay in front of people more. Exactly. It's um, it's a good move. Um I'm not opposed to just cranking out a couple EPs and then putting them all on one. And like, here's our, um, you know, singles going steady yeah. or our, our best of, or whatever. I don't know. Or do do limited edition stuff like on vinyl, which is so frustrating when I'm on Discogs looking at biter stuff and the amount of money that people are selling that stuff for. Oh yeah. It's yeah. I get an it's argument funny, though, myself. because like, you'll see, you'll see like, some crazy price on on any given record and then you'll randomly see it in a record store and it's like 7.99 i'm like damn uh guess they didn't google this or maybe this is actually what it's worth and the other people are just crazy i don't know but um i get surprised from time to time at some of the prices i see people text me too and they see like a record that i was on in a, in a music store like check it out Tell you, man, Discogs is going to drive me into bankruptcy. Yeah, <laughs> once it's it's like once you get on that site, you're you're done for the evening, you know. And it's like, is that where most of money goes? Hopefully, hopefully the fraud department on your bank card like alerts stops the charges and like is kind of a slap in the back of the head that you need while you're like looking at stuff on there and like, oh my god, there's a green Ride the Lightning Metallica album. I can't believe oh, it. only released in France. How much is that? And yeah. yeah, you can go nuts. They're investments. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell that to my ex-wife. Yeah. Well, hey, man, it's been a great conversation. It's been a great time having you. I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoy the album Badlands. For everyone listening, go check it out um, on all streaming services and check out uh, the album. You can purchase the album on the website. Do you want to tell people where they can find you? Um. Uh, ravagers gang on instagram uh there's a link to our website on there i don't know what it is off the top of my head i don't visit the website uh, but uh, you know it's on our instagram it's pretty easy to find if you just type in 
Ravagers Gang on Google or Ravagers Band. Um, I think there's like a Marvel movie that fucked up our our search. Um, I don't know what there's a character called Ravagers or something. I don't know, but uh, we used to have it good until that movie came out or that show. And I'm trying to think about what that is. Um, um, yeah, is it it's a like mo- an animated thing? I think is it okay? Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Matt. And uh, you can find the RavagersGang.com. You can uh, visit them on Instagram, Facebook as well. And uh, as you hit their website, it does say West Coast Tour is coming. And if you go drop by their merch tab, you can find the album, the CD. You can find a patch. You can find a couple uh, flags, which is really cool, and some T-shirts. You know, one thing I got to say, man, is the album covers and the creative you know, the way you design like t-shirts and stuff like that is really cool. I mean, it's, it's not, it's definitely different and it's, and that's what makes it really cool. So that's Alex. That's our singer. He's a graphic designer. Um, that's another thing that really attracted me to the band is, um, it's just got a really tight, cohesive image that goes along with everything because he is able to do both and do both so well. So yeah, that's Alex, all the artwork, all the merch. It's crushing it. It's awesome. Well, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you. Everyone, that's Matt Gabs from the band Ravagers. Check out ravagersgang.com. And like I said, stop by their merch tab and pick up some merchandise. Always support new emerging bands as we all kind of bang that drum constantly here on The Hook Rocks. I'm Jay Scott. This has been another great episode of the New Music Spotlight. Talk to you later. Take care of each other and uh, see you soon. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 